Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 32 of All This and World War II, and we are at maybe the height of this story's arbitrary railroading. Yesterday, our heroes landed their time machine, highly coincidentally, at a location where three American soldiers had been pinned down by a bunch of Nazis. They had to jump in and save those soldiers' lives, even though, by GM Fiat, only one of them was allowed to die. R.I.P. Private Contigo Berenger. On this page, we find out the aftermath of saving General Bill Dozier, and we move on at last from Chapter 11, Back to the Past, to Chapter 12, Enter the Invaders. As you can imagine, we've just gotten to World War II, we're getting the plot in the past on track, we've got a time machine to deal with, we've got big Marvel canon characters and the invaders entering the story. This is a moment of flux. This is a moment when the story could potentially become interesting. And so the author and his crony, the judge, must work together to make sure that this story stays firmly on the rails. In this case, I feel that the author has overplayed his hand because the events that are about to transpire are so locked in, so firmly determined for no good reason. First of all, after you've saved, quote unquote saved, at least two of the three American soldiers, General Dozier introduces himself and says, you're strangers that I've never seen before, and you sure did a good job non-lethally incapacitating those Nazis for some reason. Come on back to the command post. Just take a look around the place, you know? Troop strength, location, that sort of thing. Quote, if the heroes decline Dozer's offer, he will inform them that the entire area is expected to be overrun by German troops at any moment, and that it would certainly be within their own best interests to return with him to a safe position. The heroes may be reluctant to leave the time machine behind in the gully, but for now they have little choice. Moving the time capsule is an incredible intensity strength feat roll, should anyone try. Player characters wishing to keep the time machine from being used may either make an excellent intensity reason feat to correctly disable the craft, or smash through the good protection of the machine and deliver at least 30 points of damage. Then it goes on to say, if you tell Dozier that you're looking for a Nazi super weapon, he'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard rumors about something like that. Why don't you come back to the base? You have any other topics to bring up with me? Because if you do, I'm going to respond by telling you to come back to the base. So you go back to the base. Supposedly. This is a point where I feel this railroad is looking a little shaky. And it's just because the author set this up in a sloppy way. Uh, Like we've touched on this before. If you're going to railroad, you know, make it tight. Make it work. Here, uh, what the author is asking the player characters to do, uh, assuming that the player characters will do, is ludicrous. It's a time machine. Like, after after the talk we just had from Nick Fury about, like, don't let that book about World War II fall into anyone's hands. Anything you do in the past could change the future. In fact, it's a real bad idea to go back there. It's too bad that you got to do it anyway. Bye. We got this little reminder we need to be careful with the book and everything. We go back in a time machine. Then we meet this general who's like, hey, come to a sleepover at the base, and you're just supposed to leave your time machine in a fucking gully because it's heavy? First of all, an incredible intensity feat. Some of the default characters for this adventure can handle that. They could just lift the time machine and take it with them. Then there's also teamwork to consider, right? If you're fast enough, you can get away from the Nazis who are going to show up very soon. Then you can cooperate to lift this thing, and it's not going to be that big a deal. So I think for many groups, taking the time machine with you is not going to be that big of a deal. You'd probably just do that. But assuming that you can't, using your uh, reason feat to disable the craft, 
so they can't use it. That's pretty good. But keep in mind, I mean, the Nazis built these things in the first place. So the most you're going to do is delay them. You know, they'll take this thing back. And at some point in the chain of command, somebody's going to know where this belongs. And you give it back to Baron Zemo. He does some work on it. The Nazis have their time machine back when they didn't in the original timeline. So now the Nazis are plus one time machine compared to where you started out. Good thing you came back here to fuck it all up. But at least it's a superficially good option. I can't believe the author thinks that the player characters are actually going to just batter the time machine and break it. It's their only time machine. And surely it can be repaired. I mean, they just heard the story about this Orfu craft. I don't know what time height the Orfu were flying at, but their vessel had a crash that killed everybody on board. And the Nazis managed to reclaim the material and build a working time machine out of it. I don't think Hawkeye feathering this thing with acid arrows is going to keep the same Nazi team from rebuilding it. But what it will do is keep the player characters from getting home because the time machine won't be fixed until the Nazis have it. So even if the player characters somehow get back to the gully, they can't leave, which is clearly the intention here, right? Once again, this is like a very Doctor Who move. You get the protagonists out of the time machine. You put the time machine in peril. Then you make the heroes flee so they can't get back to the time machine. So they have to engage the plot instead of doing what the player characters should very clearly do in this scene, which is get back in the time machine and just just go, man. Just, I mean, you could hit the recall switch, which in theory should take you back to where you took off, right? Which is back in 1989. And you can consult Fury and you can make some repairs on the craft and try this whole thing again. But let's say that it doesn't work. I mean, what you've got here is a busted time machine. It arrived late for the thing you were planning to do. So it's very iffy whether you're going to be able to accomplish your mission at all. But as long as you have a time machine, you can make some further attempts at that. If you get back in this thing and try to go back to 1989, and it takes you to, I don't know, the golden age of Islam, then like, do some work on this thing and try it again. You're superheroes. At least the Nazis aren't going to take over the world because you were dicking around in Baghdad for a little while. They could very well take over the world because you left a fucking time machine on their doorstep. This is just the first example on this page of arbitrary railroading. The GM is really trying to force you to abandon this time ship, I guess, just so that you don't have an active time machine for the rest of the adventure. But the only thing you could do with it later is pretty much get in and hit the recall switch. And you can do that right now. If you want to, it'd be a great time for it. The Nazis are coming. You might not want to later when you're, you know, in the middle of the plot and you're in battle with other superheroes and there are lives at stake. You might want to stick around. But right now you've got no investment in anything. You have every reason to leave and there's nothing stopping you from doing it. So this attempt to railroad you into ditching the ship is ineffectual. Then we move on to chapter 12. This is Enter the Invaders. And this is where your team finally gets to meet the legendary super team of World War II, the Invaders. Here's the read aloud text when you head back to the American camp. Quote, The ride back to the American command post is short and uneventful. As you arrive, you are caught up in a throng of American soldiers that are coming and going. It is still difficult for you to adjust to the idea that you are actually back in 1943. As Dozier drives into the base, everyone seems to snap to instant attention. Before Dozier can even get out of the jeep, a young non-com has already rushed to greet him. General, you have visitors inside. It's urgent. No offense to non-coms. Young officers sound that way too, on this podcast. I have nothing against enlisted soldiers. I just hate the young. Quote, with a stern look on his face, Dozier moves ahead in motions for you to follow. As you move into General Dozier's office, you are suddenly face to face with the invaders, the legendary allied heroes of World War II. Without skipping a beat, their leader, Captain America, begins to speak. General, we haven't much time. Our sources were correct. The Nazis do have some sort of superweapon. So far, we have learned that three of the Nazis' best commando teams were sent out on some sort of top-secret mission, and that the superweapon was the mission's end result. 
The Nazis are almost certainly planning on unveiling the weapon for the surprise counteroffensive in this region that we believe is scheduled to begin at 1400 hours tomorrow afternoon. We also believe that the weapon is being stored in either a place called Castle Vladistopol or in Hitler's private bunker itself. Our problem now is finding where either is located. So all right, the author, wasting no time. You go right into camp, somebody runs up and says, hey, it's the invaders, you go meet the invaders. And then Captain America gives a little speech where he says, there is a Nazi super weapon. We know when they're going to use it. We're pretty close to finding it. It's in one of these two locations, Castle Vladistopol or Hitler's private bunker. We don't know where either one is. And the next thing we need to do in this plot, I mean this operation, is to find out where those two locations are. Uh, it goes on to say that after Cap has given this speech, he introduces himself and the rest of the invaders to the team. There's going to be one total invader for every player character. So if you've got a four-person group, then you've got Cap and three other invaders, whoever the judge chooses. Captain America is initially suspicious of these unknown superheroes who just showed up in the middle of nowhere, but once he hears that they helped stop an extremely conveniently timed Nazi attack, uh, he's won over and Captain America trusts you. So, you know what's going on here. You know where the super weapon is going to be. It's one of two places. This is where the other shoe finally drops. Quote, The invaders might not know where Castle Vladistopol or Hitler's private bunker are located, but the player characters can quickly find out. All they need to do is look into Crane's history book. Remember that Crane's book is subtitled All the People, All the Places, and All the Events. If the heroes look up either topic, here is what they will find. And it goes on to give excerpts from the book that indicate the precise location of Castle Vladistopol and Hitler's private bunker. As usual, impeccable detail from Hamilton Crane here. Castle Vladistopol, it's not like it was a military base or something. It was a science research facility that the Nazis relied upon for a time in the war. And I want to point out too, Castle Vladistopol isn't even its real name. Here I quote from World War II Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. Quote, Castle Vladistopol is the name that local inhabitants gave to Castle Grocht, a medieval fortification that lies just outside of the village of Stromberg in Romania. This fucking book has an entry indexed for the local informal name of a castle where German scientists worked on something. But of course, the book needs to contain this level of detail because the author wants to engineer a very specific situation. The Nazi superweapon must be destroyed or reclaimed, and its location has been narrowed down to exactly two places. But the local superheroes don't know where those two places are, and even if they did, they don't have time to go to both. They would have to split up because they're too far apart. You couldn't hit one and then the other. This creates a situation where the invaders have no choice but to work with our heroes because our heroes have the info they need. Our heroes have no choice but to split up, allowing them to form a mixed party with the invaders and go on two different branches of this adventure, which is coming up next page. And there's an explanation of what exactly our heroes brought from the future that allows this problem to be solved. What you may notice here is that all this Hamilton Crane shit, this guy has been chasing us through this module, haunting our nightmares like Freddy fucking Krueger. What it all boils down to, really, is there are these two places where we've heard the Nazis might be hiding the weapon, but we don't know where those places are. That's the predicament that the invaders are in, and the player characters need to have the answers for them to say, hey, we know where those places are, we can help. I can think of a number of ways that the player characters could have learned that information other than World War II, Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. For example, they could have learned it from the Nazi commandos at the interrogation. The Nazi commandos would know. I mean, they were involved in this whole thing. Like, they were told to go back and find the super weapons. They were working with the other commandos. 
What if they had spots they were supposed to go back to? Like two options. Hey, if you come back in your time machine with a super weapon, you're going to want to take it to Vladistopol, or you're going to want to take it to Hitler's secret bunker, which here I'll write on a little post-it note. We didn't have post-it notes back then. Here I'll write it on a pathetic, unsticky piece of paper. This is where Hitler's secret bunker is. Just take the super weapon there if you want to. The commandos could know. Then you find out in the interrogation by like mind reading them or asking them questions or seducing them or intimidating them or anything you could do in an interrogation scene, as opposed to an interrogation tease, which is basically what that scene was. It would have been would have been easy to have the player characters get that information, and then you wouldn't need to force this Hamilton Crane book on them. They'd, they'd be fine in this scene. I mean, Kruppman could have told them where the possible locations are, or the time machine could have had pre-programmed destinations that it can go to, because that's where the super weapons are supposed to be returned to. In the time machine, there's like a setting to go back to Castle Vladistopol, but it's not activated, and the player characters don't know how to activate it, but they can see that that's one of the pre-programmed places that it can go, and it's got exact coordinates there. So then when the invaders bring this up, they're like, oh, wait, we saw those names in the time machine. We know where those places are. There are countless ways to do this, which makes the insistence upon forcing this book down our throats while simultaneously blocking off all other avenues of information gathering. It's just, it's so confusing. Like, why do this? And similarly, this whole thing with the time machine, sticking it down in this goalie, and then the Nazis attack, and the Nazis are going to take the time machine. This introduces a whole thing, like, I mean, depending on how seriously we're going to take this adventure, if I'm somehow still, like, a thespian about this, and I'm playing my character hardcore at this stage, in this fucking debacle of an adventure module, then I'm thinking, listen, the worst thing that could happen is for the Nazis to get a time machine. If we have to die in battle, if we have to be trapped here forever, if some innocent people have to get hurt, no matter what, we can't let the Nazis get this time machine. In that scenario... By creating this assumption in the plot that the player characters are just going to ditch a time machine in a gully where the Nazis can find it, it just it creates a whole potential to derail the plot that doesn't need to be there. Once again, we can turn to Doctor Who for inspiration here. The capsule is damaged after its failed recall switch flight, and so it dematerializes for a while into the time stream as an automatic safety measure to come back when it's usable again. Perfect. We can't bring it with us. What are we going to do? Sit here in this gully and fight? all of the Nazis? No, we can't do that. So we just have to leave and hope that we can get the time machine back later. We have no choice. Likewise, you could have it materialize like inside solid stone. Or you could drop a clue that there's a vital component of the time machine. Like this is the thing they got from the Orfu craft. And without this thing, time travel won't work. You can just pull it out and take it away with you. The time machine is completely inert just to provide the assurance that like they can't repair this thing. It's useless to them as long as we've got this, what's it? Therefore, we don't have to feel bad about leaving it in this gully. There are so many ways to do this that actually work that it just seems sloppy to just say, oh, well, time machine's in a hole. Better let the Nazis get it. What are you going to do? Pick it up? Seems extreme. And I guess like maybe the, the, the ultimate dumbest thing on this page, returning to the invaders for a moment, this is all to set up a situation where your only option is to go on this mission with the invaders and split your forces between these two locations so you can do the two different set pieces with the two different teams that forms the actual cool, interesting part of this adventure. Suppose the invaders knew where both of these sites were, but they were known to be fortified. Maybe like it's suspected that there are supervillains at these locations, right? If these heroes show up and Captain America and Dozer and everybody trust them, as the adventure already dictates, then naturally, Captain America would say, hey, we got to check both these places for the super weapon, but we don't have time to go to both at full strength. Will you please join us? Help us make up the numbers 
get to both these places in force to be able to take the super weapon if we find it. Makes all the sense in the world and doesn't even fucking require that the player characters know the location of these places. Captain America could just know already and the plot still works. What in God's name is this author so afraid of? Why must we be tormented like this for a plot that is its just its pretty simple? It's easy to make it hang together. Everything doesn't need to unfold with this exacting precision. Everything has been leading up to this moment, and it's just like there are these couple of locations that if the players knew exactly where they were, that'd be cool. It'd give a reason for the NPCs to work with them. If the player characters don't know, then just say the non-player characters know, but they'd like the player's help anyway. That's it. That's the whole thing. But instead, we've got this little note that, like, remember, the players should recall that the name of the book says all the places and all the events. So when they hear mention of places, it should remind them of the book that we didn't let them leave behind in the present. Then they go to the book and they look up those places and they see the location of the places and then they bring the location to Captain America. And he says, since you know where those places are, then um, let's go to them. Who does this entertain but the author? No one. No one but Hamilton Crane's superfan Ray Winninger enjoys paying off Chekhov's history book at this moment in the plot. We just want to get on to World War II action. And so we shall. But not before we take a break next time to look at a full-page illustration of the super teams of two eras joining hands and being weird on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening.